This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, February 5th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Town Talks Parklet Design. Capital Conversation looks at advancing legislation. Iron Flame sparks our radio book club. And a mountain weather forecast. Consider the parklet. During the pandemic, the town instituted emergency measures to allow for outdoor dining on public streets, parking areas, uh, various locations in town that we would normally not permit that kind of use. Telluride Planning Director Ron Quarles speaking at a town council meeting last week. It was a liberal uh, application to to uh, allow for the restaurants to survive during the pandemic. Um, we weren't unique from any or from other communities across the country that opened up the streets and opened up areas for outdoor dining. Even with COVID fading in the rear view, parklets feel like a permanent Main Street fixture, a summertime necessity. Quarles came to council wondering, should town continue to allow such structures with the same liberal provisions? Not everyone, he notes, is a parklet fan. Uh, these are just comments that we've heard. Debris and material is left in the street when, when the parklets are removed in October. Canopy enclosures affect traffic visibility at intersections. Uh, the canopy structures in general are unattractive. Fees and construction costs are too high. Parklets on streets are unsafe. Parklets are ugly. <laughs> that's, been, that's been identified, so we're, we're including it. Telluride had some 11 parklets last summer, most but not all on Colorado Ave. On the whole, council members are in favor of preserving the parklet possibility for area restaurants and even other businesses with a compelling reason for a patio space. But council member Mian Fee says she'd like to see some research and some data which gets to what the true economic impact of these parklets are on our sales tax revenue, on our businesses. I mean, I think it's really important that we do, you know, this is a seasonal economy and it is incredibly important that we support our businesses. But like how and how effective this truly is for them is something that I think that we need to know because there are trade-offs. This could help town fine-tune its fee structure and disincentivize businesses from installing parklets, which then go underused. Fee also adds, I do think that we need some sort of stronger design review process for the aesthetics of these parklets. If we are trying to be the destination that we are trying to be, there are some major gaps in the visuals and we are so stringent with every other construction renovation storefront that it only makes sense for us to apply the same process to the parklets because that is what people see. Town manager Scott Robson chimes in to say the town has plans to take a more holistic look at Main Street as well. We do plan on doing kind of a full Main Street walk if you will and survey of where all of our existing bike racks have been, where some of the permanent ones are year-round, the uh, setup of various benches as well, and really take a full um, look at how we can improve upon for this summer um, our overall bike parking um, setup and, and bench. 
articulation so that we can open up sidewalks a little better in some core areas. Town Council addressed the necessity of working with parklet owners to accommodate the Balloon Glow, an annual event with a 40-year history in Telluride, which takes place at the beginning of the summer each year. It's run into trouble with parklet fences and canopies over the past couple of years and has to reduce the number of balloons at the glow. Overall, it seems parklets are here to stay. Mayor Teddy Errico says in summary. Realistically, for the work session, we're all in favor of moving, you know, keeping it and just being better with it and um, learning some more data and making it look more attractive. Town will work on language, fine-tuning its parklet policies as summer 2024 is off on the horizon. It's been a busy week in Denver, with constitutional amendments and legislation, some of it divisive, rolling along. Our State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods is back with this week's Capital Conversation to bring us up to speed on all the bills and some powerful moments at the State House floor. Hey, Lucas, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. So I understand there are some bills progressing which might have specific relevance to mountain communities. Uh, what can you tell us about those? One, one of these bills that's coming, that's working its way through, would um, actually add a new tax on, would increase taxes for some vacation homes. Essentially, it would be a short-term rental tax on, you know, short-term rentals that are rented out for more than 90 days per year. And taxes on those would actually quadruple from what they are now. Um, I, I found that it will impact something like 24,000 vacation homes in the state. And again, quadruple the, the taxes on those. And the point is to sort of crack down on some of these, uh, you know, short-term rentals that are owned by people, but rented out for large portions of the year that, you know, aren't taxed as lodging properties as of now, but this would do that. Um, and, and what's significant about this is there's a lot of opposition, um, especially from Coloradans in mountain communities. And it, we're hearing that they're going to come, a lot of them, you know, business owners, property owners from mountain communities are going to come to the Capitol this week to voice their opposition to this. And, you know, one survey found that was made, you know, the survey was collected by a, you know, short-term rental advocacy group. So, you know, it is, it is uh, not, uh, you know, from a, from a particular viewpoint, but, um, you know, that group found that curbing short-term rentals like this could cost more than a billion dollars, a billion with a B in tourist, tourism revenue. So that's one of them. And then uh, another would, another bill another would, would impact housing by outlawing occupancy limits in communities. You know, uh, some, some high-profile ones are Denver, Boulder, which allow five unrelated people to live together, and then Fort Collins and other communities allow three unrelated people to live together. And this would, would you know, prohibit any of those existing limits and future limits from being enacted. And that's with the goal of creating more housing. And then finally, uh, there's one bill that would create some new rules on I-70 through the mountains. Um, under this bill, semi-trucks and other commercial vehicles, they would be prohibited from driving in the left lane between Morrison and Glenwood Springs. I also understand Colorado voters um, will have their say on a constitutional amendment around the statute of limitations 
with childhood sexual assault. What what can you tell us about that? That's right. Yeah, there, there's going to be a ballot measure, uh, most likely on the ballot this November, that would create a pathway for adult victims of childhood sexual abuse to bring their cases forward, um, even if the statute of limitations has expired. On average, victims don't come forward about childhood sexual abuse until they're over 50 years old. And that's one reason lawmakers want to let victims their abusers after that statute of limitations has expired. A state law that did something similar was actually overturned last year by the state Supreme Court. So uh, proponents of that are working to put this to voters so they can amend the state constitution to really give these adult victims of childhood sexual assault their day in court. Any other standout moments from the Capitol or anything else we should have on our radar this week? Well, this morning, um, there was some interesting moments when a group of family members, Israeli family members of victims of the October 7th attack by Hamas, they were here in uh, in the state house and were honored in the Senate on the Senate floor by a group of both representatives and senators. Um, and and you know that was a powerful moment. But what's also interesting is that. Uh, a similar proceeding on the House floor was canceled at the last minute. And um, the House Speaker said, you know, she's worried that members, both of her caucus and the Republicans, would fail to, quote, rise to the occasion. Um, and that's in light of, of recent conflicts between lawmakers, not only over this um, Israel-Gaza issue, but also with other issues. And and so this just, you know, is another mark in, in the... Uh, contentious political atmosphere that exists here at the state house. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much for this update. We will stay tuned um, and uh, talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Always, always happy to be here. That was KOTO state house reporter, Lucas Brady Woods in Denver. Today on Kodo, we're debuting a radio book club. Each month, we'll chat with an avid reader about the book they most loved from their past 30 days of reading. To get the ball rolling and the pages turning, Chrisanne Shorn, a service specialist at the Wilkinson Library, stopped by Kodo to fill us in on her January read of choice. It's a best-selling fantasy tome. So this month I read Iron Flame, which is the second book to the Empyrean series by Rebecca Yaros. Um, The first book is called Fourth Wing. It's set at a war college, and the main character is preparing to enter this war college as a scribe. But her mom, who is the commanding general of this college, forces her to enter into the Dragon Rider's quadrant instead. Basically, the plot and the setting in the first book is at this war college, where Violet, who's the main character, has to go through all of these crazy trainings and different obstacles to to basically stay alive and to graduate. The main character, she has a chronic illness where her connective tissue is weak. And so throughout the book, she's working with different ways to adapt to that, like just 
riding her dragon. She can't ride her dragon like everyone else does. So she has to like make a saddle. And it's just amazing how she is able to do everything that she does. I mean, she's a total warrior and just like this awesome heroine. Also, the author is just really inspiring. She's from Colorado and she herself um, deals with this connective tissue disorder as well. So she writes that into her character, which I just thought was so awesome. And some articles that I've read have talked about people coming up to her and just being so grateful for representing them in her story, because that's really rare. I have not read, especially with fantasy, not read a lot of books that represent characters who are of different abilities. If you like dragons, steamy romance scenes, and awesome characters, then this book is for you. But if you don't like those things, then I would skip it. (laughs) (laughs) Describe um, the quality of reading this book. When did you do it? Where were you? I wanted to read it whenever I could. So I would mainly read it. I would binge it during the day when I had off, and then I would read it before I went to bed as much as I could read it. Cool. Probably probably went down pretty quick then. Yeah, it did, even though it's like a chonker of a book. <laughs> what awaits for your February of reading? Are you um, ready to start something new? Yeah, I think I'm going to get into some nonfiction this month. Um, I just started reading Killers of the Flower Moon and a Tara Brock book, so I've got two nonfiction lined up. Is there anything else you want to add um, in this first iteration of our radio book club? Well, I work at the library, and I'm so happy and excited to talk about this book with anybody who wants to. That was Chrisanne Shorn discussing Iron Flame by Rebecca Yeros, the book which defined her January. Shorn will pass the baton to another reader, who will join us for another installment come March. The town of Mountain Village is embarking on a readdressing project this month. A street address may seem the product of happenstance, a random number stuck on a home to identify it amongst its neighborhood peers. But there are actually distinct standards and codes for how properties are addressed. Emergency service providers depend on those codes when responding in time-critical situations. In an effort to bring consistency to the town's addresses, Mountain Village will reassign street numbers for over 100 properties over the next several years, beginning this month in the Meadows neighborhood. The town will reach out to any residents who will see an address change and is providing reimbursement and support to those affected. In a statement, Mountain Village recognizes the potential inconvenience to homeowners, but says increased efficiency in emergency situations will make the transition worthwhile. Colorado State Poet Laureate Andrea Gibson will be the featured voice of the Talking Gourds Poetry Club's February Bardic Trails event. Gibson hails from Maine and lives in Boulder. They've published many a poetry collection and anthology and performed widely in poetry slams and gatherings across the country. The Talking Gourds Poetry Club is thrilled to welcome Gibson to their monthly circle, and Gibson's chosen prompt for the evening is yourself. As always, event participants are invited to share a piece of their own 
after Gibson provides a reading. The gathering takes place on Zoom Tuesday, February 6 at 7 p.m. Find a link and details at telluridelibrary.org. New rules for measuring water use are in effect for some rivers in northern Colorado. KUNC's Alex Hager reports they come amidst a state effort to count every drop. The new requirements to install measurement devices mostly apply to agricultural users on the Yampa, White, Green, and North Platte rivers. Erin Light is an engineer with the Colorado Water Conservation Board. She says they'll give the state better standing in talks about the shrinking Colorado River. Whatever that negotiation is, you're always stronger with data. Be able to say, hey, this is what we're diverting, and we know this. States from Wyoming to California are under pressure to cut back on their water use from the Colorado River, which supplies about 40 million people. Lights Agency is also developing similar measurement rules for the Dolores and San Juan Rivers in the southwest corner of Colorado. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clouds tonight with a low around 30 degrees. On Tuesday, expect morning clouds to develop into snow showers and windy conditions in the afternoon with a high near 40 degrees. Wind and snow are forecast to remain overnight on Tuesday when the low is near 30. Possible snow accumulations range from 4 to 8 inches. The storm remains Wednesday and Wednesday night when the high is near 30 and the low is around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, February 5th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.